Hello everyone and welcome to Beyond the Canon, the Writer's Room podcast. I'm Samelia Hodge-Dalloway. And I'm Sarazai Marufu. And in this episode, we are very excited to have playwright, actor, director and broadcaster Kwame Kwe Amar joining us as our guest. We're so honoured to have Kwame join us on Beyond the Canon, the Writer's Room. You can find out more about Kwame on our website, www.beyondthecanon.com. In the meantime, enjoy our conversation with Kwame as he joins us, your girls, Sim and Saru, in Beyond the Canon, the Writer's Room. Okay, hello, hello, hello. We are so, we're feeling so blessed right now to have someone who I consider family, um, (laughs) someone who I absolutely adore and somebody who I've had the privilege of working with more than once. And that is Kwame Koyamaya. Thank you so much, Kwame, for being here and being part of Beyond the Canon, the writer's room. We're just so honored to have you. I don't know why you big me up like that and why you call me family. You ain't family to me. (laughs) <laughs> I know why you want to be able doing all of that. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> that just throw me under the bus the first sentence that you say. Is that how you're going to do me? <laughs> but it's because you're more than family, Sim. It's because oh, we love you in my house. Like, it's like all of us, my children. My children have grown seeing you, knowing about the intellectual contribution you have made to our sector, to our sphere, and to me. Oh. We, we loves you, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't gonna say a nice thing about you again for the rest of this time. I know, I know. So please don't. Bad work. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. If it just I'll happens once in this call, then that's, I'll take it. <laughs> it's been recorded, so you can always play it back, Sim. Oh, <laughs> yeah, delete, me. delete, delete. No, I'm I'm overjoyed to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. Oh, thank you, Carl. You know, the love is there. So I'm, I've got the privilege of introducing Kwame. Um, so Kwame Koma is a British actor, playwright, director and broadcaster. In 2018, he was made artistic director of the Young Big Theatre, where he directed Twelve Night and Tree. From 2011 to 2018, he was previously the artistic director of Baltimore Center Stage, where he directed jazz, Marley, One Night in Miami, to name but a few. Uh, other works as a director includes Twelve Night, and Comedy of Errors and Much Ado About Nothing, Detroit 67 um, by Gail Dominique <laughs> um, and others. I really want to jump to your playwriting credits because there's so much. Kwame's done so much. I'm going to try and condense this down as best as I can. Um, as a playwright, his credits include obviously Tree, One Love, Beneath Us Place, Amina's Kitchen, Fix Up, Statement of Regret, Let There Be Love and Seize the Day. Kwame Kwema was the artistic director for the Festival of Black Arts and Culture in Senegal in 2010. He has served on the boards of the National Theatre, Tricycle Theatre and Theatre Communications Group. And Kwame was the, um, was the Chancellor of the University of the Arts, London from 2010 to 2015. And in 2012 was awarded an OBE for services to drama. Wow. That's not even half of it, by the way. I had to really condense that down. Um, I wanted to go on. I wanted to go on mute. I was like, I don't want to hear this about me. <laughs> no, 
oh, it's amazing. It's a lot. I actually feel sad for Sim because she had to read so much. Sim, do you need an energy drink before we get started again? Because that was... Like, I'm going to just take a sip of tea right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is so... I, I'm, I'm, I'm liking this vibe. I'm liking this vibe. I, I need an energy sip. I need... I need <laughs> Do you have an, everybody game. for an energy sip? <laughs> I want to step up my game with you two. Trust me. <laughs> well, mate, we're so happy to have you here. I mean, honestly, it is an absolute pleasure. Um, do you know what? I will tell you one thing. So you are probably to Sim what Sim is to me. And I have heard the story of how you have met Sim like a hundred times. I was just telling Sim that I actually feel like I was there. Like, like it's been said so many times it lives in a corner of my brain like you're thinking remember that time when we met Kwame Saru I was in there <laughs> but I wanted to ask you what were you doing in South Africa when you met Sim because she's never told me that oh actually how here's something that's quite interesting actually the young Vic under David Lamb sent oh. me out to South Africa to write an article for the Guardian about uh what's the company that we that you um uh, Portobello. Portobello. It's angled Portobello. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah. And so I walked into the rehearsal room and, and she was there and we just vibrated. And, uh, and, and I've never forgotten it. And it's, it's one of the blessings. It's one of the blessings a young Vic gave to me without even knowing it. Oh. Same here. Just to piggyback on that. Um, I remember, Karma, I don't know if you remember this, but this really stayed with me. We were all having a meal and I believe it was a Thai restaurant and we were all having a meal and, you know, Rolahan and myself were both sent out to um, South Africa, Cape Town um, to assist, be assistant directors on the play Magic Flute and Christmas Carol. And Kwame said to me, okay, I'm definitely paraphrasing here, but Kwame said to me, okay, you're here. You're getting this experience. Fantastic how are you going to use this experience when you get back? And then he also said, oh, what was it? You said something along the lines of, um, what's the similarities? What are the similarities that you're finding about being in South Africa and compared to living in London? And those two questions really stayed with me because I think at the time you can get so caught up in the process. You can get so caught up in terms of what you're experiencing in the present that you don't really look to the future. Mm -hmm. And at that present moment in time, you allowed me to really look into the future. And, um, and also you, you allowed me to be reflective and to really ask the question because I was, I, was, I was a little troubled out there, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least, you know. Um, and I think that, that that conversation for me was really the foundation that I needed to realize my purpose. Um, it was the thing that anchored everything that I do now. So thank you so, so much for having that conversation with me. And you told me to call you and I didn't call you. But <laughs> then that, <laughs> you were like, call me. And I didn't call you and um, because I had a South African number. And then when you saw me at the Young Vic, because they did the opening at the Young Vic, and obviously you were there, and you were like, why did you not call me? <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. You know, and that was the beginnings of us working together on the Black Play Archive, which we'll, you know, yeah. we'll talk about. Well, good. If you're going to talk about it, then I won't talk about it now, because I'm going to, because 
I'm, I'm going to reciprocate on that vibe of of uh, of dropping bombs that make things explode. I'm going to... Mm. I actually feel like that might be a specialty, Kwame, because I remember um, I remember Sim did an ADF event um, at South Bank, mm-hmm. uh, and you came in, I think it was like during a lunch hour when you're in between rehearsals or whatever, and you came in, and at that time, I think... Because that also sat with me for a while. You keep doing that to me. Like, you came in and you spoke of privilege. Um, you spoke of privilege, how you had um, discovered as you were working elsewhere that you had British privilege and mm-hmm. how privilege was not really something that is, um, that is your fault, but it's something that society thrusts upon you. And it's more about acknowledging your privilege and also recognizing that you have the responsibility to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And I remember that also sat with me as well, because I never really kind of unpacked about why my voice was somehow a little bit louder when I was back home in Zimbabwe and, you know, and why I could get things done a little bit more efficiently (laughs) until I had that conversation with you. And I was just like, Oh my God, like, damn. And I carried that for ages as well. So you're just out there getting pum, pum, pum with your drops. (laughs) And it's just struggling to keep up with you young people. I just just got to find a little way to contribute, you know? You paid the way for us. Well, I I don't know about all of that, but you know what was really interesting about both of those comments is that um, I discovered privilege. And and, and I think I I began to articulate it it probably really close to that time. I remember going to the South Bank because I was tired. I was Mm. tired that lunchtime. I remember real clearly. I was just like, wow, what do I have to give? What do I have to give when I'm this beat up? But the energy in the room and the vibration in the room allowed me to, to... to, and, and also knowing that this is part of Sim's baby allowed me to, uh, to kind of dig deep. But, and, and probably I'll talk about this a little bit. The, the biggest privilege I realized was that I was part, that, that in many, respect, many respects, I'm a recipient of the Atlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. That, that I, I am a direct recipient of it. And that, and that the, you know, the West, and Britain in particular, England in particular, in particular, um, took our ancestors from our motherland and worked them as beasts of burden. And of that capital, they, they built their country and, and the Industrial Revolution came as a direct result of the capital rate. And that Industrial Revolution placed Britain right at the forefront of the world and of what we call the first world. And I was born in the first world. So that means I am a direct recipient of free education, of central heating that we have to pay, of wall-to-wall carpet, of access to capital in the way that others are not. And so I then, once I I realized that I too have benefited from the blood of the Africans spilt in the Caribbean and in South America, once I learned that, I then had to say, so what do I do with that privilege? And what I do with that privilege is say, ancestors, I thank you. And for that privilege, I will dedicate the energies that I have to never forgetting who you are and what you did and to advancing the cause, albeit incrementally, of those who came after you. Once I realized privilege, I then went, that's the direction of travel. Mm. 
I love that. And it's so powerful. And it's something that, you know, I just remember all our many walks comes. <laughs> you know all of our many many walks um because sometimes you have to walk you know when you work in institution you have to walk it off you have to have that sort of those conversations and you find your person you know and i was really um blessed and honored to have you as my person that we could both kind of you know have those really long walks whether it's across Waterloo Bridge or whether it was just... And, you know, I think that needs unpacking a little, right? And, and, and I'm, 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 you know, again, you guys are setting the agenda. So forgive me, I'm just going to vibrate. No, say, no, just no. Say, just, say shut up. just say shut up when it's time to shut up. But you talked about those walks and we talk about a reciprocal relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and you were there at the very beginning of when I was yeah. offered, uh, when I was working on, on the Bob Marley musical. Mm-hmm. And you went through with me the, 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 the ups and downs yeah. of trying to wrestle that beast to the ground yeah. and of sitting through naked aggressions that were placed upon us, mm-hmm. expectations that we negotiated with, jumped over, and, and the tragedies that would come. We got close so many times. And actually yeah, during yeah. the workshop, when we would finish a day and then walk for two or three miles, just so we can walk it off. We thought, or I thought it was about working it off, but it wasn't. But it was in part. It was about the exchange that comes from exhaustion. The ideas that are born when you've taken licks, but you can look at someone else and say, I know you got my back and you had my back. Yeah. As we would walk and walk off the oppression of the day, the upsets of the time, the pains of the moment, as we would walk, Sim, and, yeah. and, and negotiate with the frustrations through our tongues, our spirit, and our feet. Remember, you weren't even going in the direction sometimes I was going in, but you just yeah. walked with me for two miles till <laughs> exactly. I got, till, till I got to, to, to five stations away from where I live. <laughs> and so when we right. always, what we, you know, so it's, 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 you, you speak about what I gave, but Sim, and again, I haven't even done yet because we're going to get to the Black archives, Black play archives. But when we talk about, that's what fellowship is. Yeah. That's what artistic companionship is. And it may be for a moment or it may be for a season. We don't know the length of mm-hmm. it. But those moments of seeing us, of, of you seeing me when I, when I was down, of seeing me when I was being suppressed and oppressed. See, as we negotiated, the times you took licks for me when we were trying to build the Black Play Archive. You know what, let's talk about the Black Play Archive. Let's talk about the Black Play Archive because it's bittersweet for me, if I'm honest. It's completely bittersweet for me. It was our biggest achievement. And it was also, you talk about a fight, (laughs) you know, we talk about a fight. We talk about the cost of us occupying these spaces. We talk about getting our just deserves, you know, getting, you know, um, um, I really think about how of an incredible program. I mean, I remember when you called me up, 
remember that day when you called me up and you said, Sim, I've got this idea. Um, and you said, you know, I've got this idea to create an archive, a black play archive. And I want to know if you'd be interested in running, is setting it up, setting up the archive and running it, managing it. And no, 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 I didn't say that. No, no, no. What did you say? I said, I wanted to be interested to come and do the research. And I okay. really find it's important to say the research. Yes, you set it up. Yeah. Yes, you managed it. But actually, you came in and did Fair enough. round yeah. research, the letters, yeah. the yeah. requests, the shouts and said, can you look under your bed? Under your bed. And, let's, and can you look in your cellar and in, yeah. your, and in your loft? The lofts but, everywhere. But more importantly than that, Sim, and I'm sorry to cut in, the, um, the, and this is where your brilliance came into, into four. So when I met you, I thought that we would find 50 plays. <laughs> At maximum, I thought we'd find 70 plays. Remember the original ambition? Let's yeah. find the black plays produced, professionally yeah. produced in Britain, in Britain over the last 50 years. And you said, yeah. no, Franz, let's make it 70. Let's go back to, I went 70, it ain't gonna be 70. This is gonna be 70 years. You said, no, Franz, let's go back. So don't forget the research because yeah. the research part was mad in expanding the brief. And I'm gonna yeah. go one step further. Sorry, I know you started the vibrate. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. Yeah. You were also my first executive choice. You were my first executive decision. I had not run any buildings before. And if mm -hmm. you remember, the story goes a little bit like this. So it goes that they asked me to join a national theater board and I say, thank you. That's next star, Nick Heitner. And I say, thank you. And I say, guys, but here's what for me, I don't want to just come and sit down on the board and do nothing. I'll, I'll come join the board, but, but, but can you get behind this black play archive idea? And, and, and Nick said, yeah. And then the other Nick said, yeah, we will. And they wrote the initial letters out to the people to say mm -hmm. the, the advisory committee so it could have national theater uh, stamp on it. Mm -hmm. And then anyway, then they, got, then they got some funding behind it and they put some funding and they went, great, so we'll help you to get this off the ground. And I said, but I think I need someone to help me do this. I've never done this before and I don't quite know how to do it. I need a right hand. And I went, cool, well, we'll, 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 we'll get some budget for that. So why don't you go out and find that person? And as you know, we'd already met in South Africa and I, and I already was vibing, I really liked you. But you know what I mean? But again, it's not like we was talking every week. It wasn't yeah. that, you know what I mean? We weren't there yet. And, uh, and so then I went out and I set up the interviews. Mm. And the, it, and I, maybe I met 10 people. I don't even know if I've told you. I, must I didn't know. even know this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this part. I, yeah, I, met, I, met, <laughs> I met 10 people. And, uh, and you being one of them. And, um, and the, it came down to you and one other person, right? Again, all of this is pre-you. Mm -hmm. And that person was like your stereotypical Oxbridge, come out of a research background, had, I mean, they were literally, the per, on paper, they were perfect. And I remember looking, going, okay, so there's Sim, whose passion and education and heart and soul is absolutely right for this, I feel it. Yeah. And then there is this Oxbridge woman, nothing against Oxbridge, and there's this Oxbridge woman who is a, 
who's a perfect candidate on paper, has done something like this before, and so could hit the ground running. And if I were to mess up, I would go, well, look, she went to Oxbridge, it's not on me. Look, she did it before, it's not on me. It was the safe choice. She was also white. And I remember, and this is a long tradition of this, I'd forgotten, of saying not to the tunics, but someone else who was associated with it. Um, said, I said, look, there's Sim, and then there's this other woman. And they went, no, well, you should go for this other woman, she's Oxbridge, blah, 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 blah. And it's a long tradition of nearly every black woman I've ever employed, of the people around me saying, you shouldn't employ them. Mm -hmm. No, you shouldn't, and we'll find a reason for it. And I remember going to bed that night going, if I mess up, Quams, you've never run anything before, you've never done it. If I mess up, surely, surely you've got some cover with Oxford. And I went to bed that night and God said, Sim. And I woke up in the morning and I called you and it was one of the best decisions I have made in my life. And I have used that template of find the soul, reward or attract or invite the soul, the mind, not the C, not just the CV. Don't go for the defensive higher. Go for the higher who you think will take you higher. Excuse that, I'm not trying to be Al Sharpton. I just dropped out like that. <laughs> And so, Sim, you were my first executive choice, and you set the template. And I have to thank you for that. Wow, I didn't even know. And I'm actually happy that I didn't know that, but I'm glad I know now because it was, for me, in terms of what I was going through during that time, um, when I was in South Africa, I was looking, searching for works that had been written by black and obviously their term colored writers and couldn't find any. And it really left me in a place of say, of really thinking about why that was. I knew, I knew partially why it was, um, but also it left me with a mission really to find out who the plays, you know, who, who do we stand on? Whose shoulders do we stand on, I guess. And so when, when I had received that phone call from you, it was so crazy to me because I was like, I've been having the same thoughts as well about it. It couldn't have, the timing of it was absolutely perfect. Um, and I've never been so excited, enthusiastic, passionate about a project. And it was the validation as well. It took me back to being at university, to be honest with you, and realizing that I hadn't come across any plays that had been written by anyone that looked like me. And it was a way for me to go on this journey to seeing myself in the industry that I so badly wanted to be a part of. Mm -hmm. So, and then, and then with that came the responsibility of how do I share this with others? So I really thank you because that definitely was the bedrock really that created all of the changes that you see now. Um, all of the work that you see now was really wow. due to having, having that knowledge, having that knowledge base of all the over 400 plays that have been produced in Britain over the last 70 years. That you found. That you found. And let me tell you, let me, let me tell you why, and I know it was bittersweet because you had to go through a lot of, um, you had to go through a lot of licks internally 
uh, yeah. when, when people who were just trying to take me down at the time and figured Definitely. they would do so through you, who, who, were, who, who had issues with, with the projects that we were going to do, had issues with black male um, agency in particular, and then black female agency. We, mm -hmm. you know, you went, you went again through licks just in terms of yeah. your association with me. You know, I'll never forget all the days of my life, the friendship you demonstrated. And, and, and I don't just be loyalty like you were loyal to me. You would tell me if I messed up, but, um, but, but, but a loyalty to, to the project, mm -hmm. a loyalty to what we were going through. And I tell you, I have one, one story to validate all that we went through. And you, is it just before getting on this, on this Zoom, uh, I went to Google uh, to be reminded of a play, and the first thing that came up was the Black British Play Archive, Ooh. and there, there was a synopsis of the play and a uh, and a recording <laughs> of the play. Some people are now jumping to do or doing monologues and stuff. And Sim, we were shooting it. We were playing with the form then. Yeah. And that was how much, 15 years ago of working yeah. out. Do you remember when we shot the first video? All we said was, I said, no, I just want it to feel midway between a rehearsal and, uh, and, 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 and a play. It can't be the real thing, because who's got it? But, you know, and remember, Sim, you got it together. We shot those plays, 15 yeah. minutes of those plays. And what we couldn't shoot, we recorded extra they right. exist now i 20 minutes ago was a recipient of the work we put down back in the day so as much pain as you went through for that as much as it has rewarded you in terms of the work that you have explored and and then by by default the value that we have got out of this work because of your investment i'm gonna be selfish just so i could go online right now and there it was all praises. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder how you feel. So I've got a question for you, Quams, about the Black Play Archive. Because for me, the bitter side of the sweet, we know the sweet side. So now let's talk about the bitter side. I, I feel that it ended prematurely. I feel that we, the unfortunate side of it is that we never got to celebrate it. We never get, we never got that launch. We never got, you know, people coming in and us, you know, having that moment to shine a light on all of the writers, to shine a light on all of the plays and to shine a light on the process as well. And to also honor the team of um, black um, artistic leaders who also fed into um, the, some of the decision making process in regards to the 10 videos the templates that we we decided to video record um and we didn't get to do all 10 but we got to do i think three or four so what's your hopes for the future for it because obviously now we're all doing our own thing right you know i'm no longer at the national fitter studio i'm kind of long left the national footer studio and you um uh, taken over buildings and taken over you know uh, just taken over basically just spaces and um and doing such an incredible job as you've always done but what's your hopes for the the black play archive well you know first of all i'd say i have a, a real problem with my brain and one of the problems is that once i've done something right uh, and i almost forget the details about it it's a bit like a play i write a play the play's produced 
And if you come back and ask me about the play five years later, I, I don't even really remember the plot. I don't really remember it. I think my brain just kind of ejects so that I can create more memory so that I can, you know. So, um, yeah, and you're right. I remember that, that it, it, it did end slightly uh, unceremoniously and prematurely, but it would be remiss of me not to speak of Natasha who came on after that and, and did brilliant and sterling work in reviving it and, um, and, and, and t getting it to a place where there could be a website where there could be, where there could be a launch. Um, but, you know, here's, if, if you were to ask me what, and you did just ask me, um, what my hopes for it are, is that it's already fulfilling its, its potential. You framed it right at the beginning. If there were a few things, there are probably only three things that uh, if I were to die right now, I would go, look, make sure you mention that, yeah? When, when, mm. you're, doing that, when, when you're doing that. And, um, and that one of those would be the, the the black, you know, the Black British Play Archive, because yeah. um, because it exists mm. it's there, and and you know, and like anything in this world, you look for it, you will find it. Yes, and that's our work. It's there. What we when we when we talked about it on our long walks, our aim wasn't to serve us, though it, it has. Our aim was to make sure it was pure future scoping. That's right. It was to make sure that no generation again ever has to search in the way that we did in attics and cellars for the works that came out of their culture. And I discovered in that, I discovered two people in that, in that research that allowed, that humbled me. And when I mean humbled me, I mean like, because at the time when we started it, remember like, Mans was part of the kind of onset of the new, you know, the new great big things, black things at the time. You know what I mean? It was like me and Ron Williams and Debbie. <laughs> and we were like that. You were like the shiny black things, isn't it? And, um, right? like, like coal, you know, like gleaming coal that just come out. Gleaming. And, uh, <laughs> what structural inequality and anti-black racism are done in this country? was it made us think that we were the only ones. Mm. It made us think that we were the first. It made us think that, that, that we don't stand on shoulders, that we have to reinvent the wheel. And mm. certainly when they compare us critically, they can only do it that with, in a contemporaneous lens. They can't go back and compare our works to previous playwrights. Why? Because they had dismissed those playwrights. Yes. Why? Because they had ejected it. Why? Because history didn't remember it because it wasn't published. And we said, no, Rastafari, mm -hmm. we make sure, we want to make sure that the next gen can go and find them or know what direction to look in. And so when you ask me the question, what are my hopes? My hopes are that it's already, that it continues to do the thing that it is already doing, mm. which it is there if you wish to find it. The people that most humbled me was Deuce Muhammad Ali. Deuce Muhammad Ali at the turn of the, of the 19th century. He was with Marcus Garvey running his own newspaper. We'd, he employed Marcus Garvey and George Bernard Shaw. Mm. Who can say that? He had his plays produced in Stockport. He had his plays, so the, this man, was what I call, he was like an actor manager, playwright, 
publisher. At the time, they were celebrating me for being a, I don't know, a hyphenate artist. And I was going, yeah, oh yeah, well, I'm not the first. It is Deuce Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. For almost a hundred years before me wow. was doing this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was Edgar White. Mm. Yeah. And Edgar White, I realized even to this day that I stand directly on the shoulders of Edgar White. I write out of Edgar White's tradition before I even knew it. Mm. A universal consciousness that even when I go back now and I look at his plays, I go, I would want to write that play. Yeah. Oh, mine is but a vibration upon that vibration. And yes, I sit and I talk about August Wilson, but August Wilson was the gleaming light at the top of the hill. Edgar White was the one that was in my community. Yes. And yet no one was celebrating. Very few were declaring his genius. How many were out there saying, look in that direction. Yeah. You ask me what the Black British Play Archive can do. What are my dreams for it? It is already doing it. It has placed the seeds, planted the vibration in the earth of the tree will grow out of that rich soil. Definitely. It's already done, Rasta. That's right. <laughs> and all the revivals, all the revivals. Look, Moon on the Rainbow Shore. Come on now. Errol John. Let's talk Come about on. Strange Fruit. Come on now, come on now. Let's, you know, there's, there's so many and it's, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, let's talk about Barry Record, the anthology that came out, you know, not long after, um, you know, the work of Yvonne Brewster. Yep. You know, I think that it's, um, it, was, it was amazing. Anyway, I could talk so much. We could, we could just do the whole thing on the Black Bay Archive because there's just so much to talk about. Being in those rooms, being able to cast original original cast members alongside those who were just entering into the industry to then revisit the work and just the energy at the national theater studio was like no none other they've never experienced anything like that again and then unless they, unless they do it again but you know there's still more work out there and what's beautiful what you've said as well is the fact that we celebrated published and unpublished works amen um so yeah cellar and the loft baby the cellar and the loft go search go find let me know what grandpa was writing let me know thank you to everybody that held on to those plays thank you to everybody that held on to those plays so let's talk about marcus garvey because we we, because you spoke about it you mentioned your name dropped marcus garvey in the conversation so i have to say big big massive congratulations calms oh my goodness Congratulations on the upcoming Netflix film marked Man Inspired by the Life of Marcus Garvey. Wow. When I saw that, I almost cried, to be honest with you. I almost cried because I know that in the past, in terms of your commitment that I've worked with you on in terms of doing research for some of the plays that um, that you've written in the past, and your commitment to telling stories of those giants, I'm going to call them, those, you know, people, those ancestors, those amazing iconic figures that we have in our, 
you know in our in our in our in our you know in our history books right <laughs> not the not the history books that we're taught but the history books that we know of and how important it is to put a spotlight on these on these people on these people who have I saw that paved the way, but those people who, you know, who we, we know of, we know of these names. And this is the issue I have sometimes with, with our heroes is that we may know of the names, but do we know of their journeys? So I love the fact that when I saw this, I was like, yes, Kwame, but I would love to know more about how the project came about and how the writing experience was for you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and Sim again, I'm, I'm going to big you up. I'm, I wanna, you know, we asked you to go and, uh, and and help me with the research to do a play about Morris Bishop and the and Grenada. I can still remember you sitting in my front room having bought videos and yeah. DVDs and us pulling the sofa around and yeah. watching. I remember that play never got produced, but no. uh, maybe one day. Um, but you know, the interesting thing about about Mark's man uh, is that. I wrote the first draft of that movie in this very room, maybe 10 years ago. Wow. And, uh, and, and right there, there's a wall right there. And, um, and, and me just, it was the first time, and me just, just filling the wall with all of, 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 of all the ideas that I, that, that I had. And, and so, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that everything has its time and its season. And, and, and I often say, you know, it, it's, we plan, man, but, you know, God plots. And, um, and you know, I and, love that. And, and, you know, and, and so you, all we could do is just keep toiling the land, right? Until the season um, decides that now it's time to bear those fruits. Um, and, and so actually, I started it very interestingly with, um, with a, a producer called Esther, who, uh, and Esther and I were in Los Angeles together, actually. And we, I remember we were in, um, we were in a hotel or whatever. And, and we, we said, so what, what can we do together? I said, you know what, I'm thinking about this thing about Marcus Garvey. And I've just discovered about the first FBI agent that was um, brought in by J. Edgar Hoover to bring down Marcus Garvey. I think that's going to be my angle, you know. And, uh, and she, she went out to the BFI and she got money and we commissioned it and she commissioned it and uh and we got real close man we got real close again it made and then it just fell off and so by about you know that I, i'm gonna say that was about 2010 and then uh by 2012 it was dead mm -hmm. i was like all right actually i remember that it was 20 it was 2012 it was dead and your heart breaks man your heart breaks when you put so much work in and you know you need to tell this giant story in part mm. and then about 20 18 20 it arose from the dead and thank god for hard drives because it was there somewhere <laughs> hard drives yeah <laughs> right and esther said yeah i've got this this producer called matt jackson in the states and he's real interested in matt's a big wig and and, and mark gordon and uh and until so, again actually mark gordon came on as one of the biggest guys out there in the in the industry and, and mark said i want to do this and we got close we got close and then then it kind of died again and i was just like rastafari come on we got a director we got close and then it died and then matt jackson said 
I ain't gonna let this die. And last summer, during the summer of unrest, of, of racial reckoning, we hit all of the studios, man, and Amazon bit. And, 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 you know, and in the meantime, like for every meeting, I was doing a different redraft and a different, you know, and, um, and yeah, Amazon bit. And so now we got Winston Duke playing Marcus Garvey. And it's beautiful for me because Winston's a West Indian, right? Mm -hmm. Winston's from Tobago. And when you look at hey. him, you, <laughs> you, you see, you, you, you see Garvey in him. Wow. And, I, and there's a funny story, actually, um, real, real, real quick. Um, about about Winston. So we, we, you know, I think I went to see Black Panther, right? And like everybody in the world. And with the whole family dressed up. Actually, we weren't dressed up. We just went. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I saw this brother who I thought stole the show. I this shabonking black man out there. I was just like, who's that? Looked him up after and said, Winston G. And, uh, and, and, and then, you know, we were speaking and, and Matt Jackson said, and what actors do you see for Garvey? I said, have we seen this guy? This guy, Winston Jew? And, uh, and so we set up a call. And on the call, I went, hi. And I just sang all my praises about his performance in, in Black Panther. And he said, you don't remember me, do you, Kwame? I went, what? He said, in about 2007, when you had one of your plays on in Baltimore, I wasn't the AD then yet. He said, I lived across the road. No. And I came with my mum after seeing your play and I waited to speak to you after a, a post-show discussion. And you waited, I waited in line and you waited and you spoke to me and I said to you, I said, Crumbs, oh, well, you didn't say Crumbs, you said, I said to you, I want to be an actor, but I don't know whether I should just jump in right now or whether I should go to school. And I, and, and you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I said, look, yeah, look, young blood, you know, for me, it's school every time and you know it'll give you tools that you didn't even know were out there and, and he went and what school i went listen you know for me it feels like yale it feels like a natural school for you that the way that they teach and, and and looking at their alumni and then i we finished the discussion and it was gone and he said and so that's what i did and here's my mum with me right now oh. Say, oh no way that's awesome <laughs> and i cried I cried nice. because you don't know who you're speaking to. You don't know who they or what they will become. Exactly. You don't know when your paths will cross and when one day the word of wisdom that you may drop upon them, they will reciprocate tenfold. Yeah. <laughs> that That's is incredible. Amazing. Be nice to everyone, young. That's, That's exactly right. what you keep doing, though. Like, these are the bombs that you drop and the things that you do, you know? I was listening to you guys talking about the Black Play Archive and the work that you put in and the, the hardships and the celebrations and your hopes for it. And yes, it's, it's amazing that we can now access these plays. But one of the things that I absolutely love about your work is the sense of, I don't know, roots? It is installed in like me <laughs> and people like me. We fight for this work and we fight for these shoulders and, you know, we fight for these sort of ripple effects and we have ownership of them. That is so phenomenal. And it actually does, like the story is beautiful and wonderful that you're talking about Kwame, but it doesn't even surprise me at all at this point now. It actually feels like very much a natural progression. You 
your work and the work that you both are doing and have been doing has led to incredible conversations I have with people my age and people who are like, you know, where I'm at and they're like, oh, and then I heard Kwame and oh, then Sim said, and then I read this and, and all of this, this ripple effect. Honestly, it's, it's really wonderful to see and yes. even more wonderful to own. <laughs> it is really it's it's just a spectacular thing and i don't know man like yeah i i think very much yeah you, whatever it is that you were hoping for i think we are very much living smack dad in the middle of it and that is really wonderful bless really bless you and I'm not even Winston Duke yet, so. <laughs> Soon come. Soon come. That's right. Soon come, my Zim sister. That's right. I don't even doubt it at all. I mean, honestly, I have shoulders <laughs> of giants and stepping on. I'm hearing gold and drop my, like, drop bombs being dropped all around me. Honestly, greatness you know, is ours to take. You like, know what's beautiful, right? What's really beautiful, and Sim, I hope you don't mind me framing it in this way. But when I met Sim, the power dynamic was very different. I was established playwright or whatever I was. And Sim was, was my, first of all, assistant, then partner, then kind of co-facilitator. And now she's my peer and my equal. Mm, and in respect, sometimes my superior. It's so uh, funny because I never ever looked at it that way. And, and you know what it is? It's because I have, and I don't know whether it's right or wrong, if I'm honest, but I don't see people in terms of, st I think it's the way I've been raised. You know, my mum raised us as not um, identifying with any class. You know, we, we, we were classless. Like we were just, we, we, we didn't, we didn't attribute anything to, you know, these kind of, conventions or rules or whatever the case may be and so I've always seen us um and at the time obviously I was I was doing work as well my own right but equally because of the conversations and I think that's just really down to how we communicated back then um yeah yeah you know what I'm, I, and, and, and I hear you Sim right I hear you a little bit on that right but I also think it would be wrong for the outside world to meet our story as if we were meeting as equals, right? Because the world was not seeing it that way. That's why you were getting some of the licks that I wasn't getting, mm. right? Because they felt that they could get to you when they couldn't get to me. Right. What's, what's very important for the world to hear is that I may have been inviting you in to join me on some things, but your road traveled is so far you have traveled so far that you are now an absolute equal. You are an absolute peer in the eyes of the world, not in our eyes, you know, because in right. our eyes, I never see nothing anyway, right? It's just like, if you're of the right mind, then we're the same. But in the eyes of the world, and the world actually needs to acknowledge your journey traveled, that the pathway, the speed of which you have burnt the rubber on the road, the way that you have moved into a position of global leadership. Let's never not underline that so that the next generation can go, okay, I too can travel, I can cover that much track. Mm. And the tool is that for you, you never see the track. 
You ain't seen the path that you've left behind. You only see the road that's in front. But that's your tool. But for those looking outside, let's acknowledge your journey, Travis. No, very true. I, I, I completely agree. I definitely think that, um, you know, even for me personally, like my journey and the journey that I've taken since having met you, Sim, is essentially of that. Like Saru of like, you know, four or five years ago, uh, before she met you, is completely different to the Saru of now. Not necessarily with regards to how we've always been. We've always been Saru and Sim, the way we communicate, the way we engage. But just where I sit in the world and also the journey that I have and the journey that other people perceive me of is completely different. And I think that's really important. I mean, that's the whole point of passing the baton anyway. It's a journey. There has to be some forward movement in everything that we're doing. We have to be pushing and soldiering and leading the narrative forward. And in that way, journeys have to be had. And, and in I that way, here's where I'm going to agree with you, Saru, and agree with you, Sim. That I never really had a baton to pass on because you was doing your own thing. <laughs> right? I didn't, it wasn't like, hey, here's me, and now let me hand it over to Sim, right? It wasn't that. But what it was, was come hold my hand. Oh, that's nice. Come, come, come hold my hand on this journey as we walk. And of course, yeah. in this day and age, you can't hold hand without putting on some extra antibiotics. <laughs> <laughs> some gloves, an apron, <laughs> and a mask. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's some added. But it's like, like, I now, the invitation, for instance, the book that we're doing, that wasn't, yeah. That, that was the opposite way. Sim went, I've got this idea for a book. And I said, Tim, can I hold your hand on it? Oh <laughs> yeah, because I really like that. It, it was a, it's about hand holding. It is about companionship. That's exactly, right. exactly. And I, and I think that that's also, look, I, there's, it's undeniable that that hand held, um, holding, that Kwame, you know, when Kwame sort of reached out his hand and said, come on this journey that has definitely played such a significant probably the, the the most significant moment in my whole entire life right um and i think that what's beautiful is that it was and maybe because of the you know kwame always says to me i've got too much pride and i'm very feisty <laughs> right you know i'm a mother's child let me put it out there but um but there's definitely the way that we sort of talk about, and I guess I've always sort of struggled with certain words that people throw around, right? Do you know what I mean? But I think that I guess what I love about the way that Kwame explained it was that there's such a, when we think about sort of mentorship or when we sort of throw these terms out, that means nothing to me. Really, it's about what Kwame's talking about. It's the relationship, it's that companionship, it's the meeting of minds, it's being able to kind of see somebody for their potential that they have. Um, and it's also being able to be the person who advocates, who shows up. You know, Kwame has written forward for both of the monologue books that I put together. And it's been amazing, even to for the artist directed future, Saru, what you mentioned, in terms of I could call Kwame and say, Kwams, please show up, please be a part of this, please um please you know please you know you you know why i'm doing what i'm doing <laughs> so therefore please enter into that space and um and support you know the work and support everybody and give everybody that's in that room what you've given me you know over the years right um so it's an extension of that but i think that 
it's been beautiful for us to sort of design whatever that relationship was, Man. whatever ourselves, you Amen. know, that wasn't put on us. I didn't come to Kwame and was like, Kwame, I need you to be this for me. It wasn't like that. It was very much organic. But, 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 but you know what, Sim, I'm, 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 I'm going to push back against that just a little. Why? <laughs> you know why? You know why? Because, 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 because I, of course I did not. Of course you did not come to me and go, hey, Kwame, I want that. And then of course yeah. you did. We met in South Africa. We met in a rehearsal room. Of course. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, there was none of that. No. But what there was, was me seeing your light and knowing that to achieve and to put the spotlight on certain things that are important to the both of us. Yeah. I needed to hold your hand and I invited you. Definitely. Yeah, 100%. Right? 100%. Yeah, and 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 I, I agree that we have whatever tools we need, but age and social position, however fleeting that may be, um, are secondary to connecting to seeing the light mm. in the person who mm. can help you spread light. And I know that's only a nuance, right? It's yeah. only a little rub. Yeah. But not everyone is born with your tenaciousness. Mm. Everybody is blessed with the parental guidance that made you an equal to everyone and an inferior to no one. Mm. Not everybody is born with that. So therefore, someone might look to them and go, I see your light. And I might go, oh no, oh no, have I got a light? I don't have a light. No, no, I couldn't have a light. And miss the opportunity to hold hands. Mm. Yeah. And so it's important that we keep digging into that. You are an extraordinary woman. You are an extraordinary leader. And not everyone is endowed with the extraordinariness that you have. They have their own specialness and their own extraordinariness. But in this regard, you are extraordinary. And when we are talking to the next gen or even our gen, I can't say our gen because me and you ain't really, ain't really the same. <laughs> and you're older than me. But, um, but the gray hairs. But when, but but it's important that people understand that there is. Don't shy away from your light, no matter who's in front of you. Yes. Don't dim your light, no matter who's in your orbit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, you didn't do that, Sim, and so I could see your light. I could see your light in a rehearsal room in South Africa that you were not enjoying. I could see your light when I asked you to come and research on, on the Grenada project for me. I could see your light shine bright when we said, yo, let's go down the Black British Play Archive. And then you were rocket fueled in your dedication to feeding the next generation. These are extraordinary traits. Mm. If any one of those that you had dimmed your light, I may have moved my hand. So mm. the agency is yours. You had the agency. You kept your light burning. And I need to make sure that those who are listening in tomorrow, five years, might, that they hear about their light and go, could my light be like Sims? Can I keep it burning bright no matter where I am? May I see everyone as an equal no matter where or what their station is in life? And may I fulfill my own potential and in, for, in, in fulfilling my potential, fulfill the potential of a community. 
definitely and i would say that god god connected us man Amen. because let me tell you no one else could hold my hand like Kwame could hold my hand and there were times where there were tears <laughs> and I needed that hand I needed somebody who recognized who again didn't didn't say actually take a different tactic you know what I mean going you dim your light a little bit when you go into that in, into those spaces you know that was never part of the conversation so I really appreciate the fact that I knew I know God knew what he was doing when he connected us in South Africa in South Africa as well it's really strange to me that we never met in London first we met in South Africa and there has to be a reason for that as well but you know what we need to this is the first time we've ever had this conversation i know and i'm loving it i'm loving it so you're really getting such a real conversation guys <laughs> as we are unpacking and trying to make sense of this union right and um and it's the first time that i am yeah, the first time that we're attaching particular words to it is the first time that we are trying to find a way to communicate, you know, what made this union, this working relationship, this, this uh, us as a family, what made it feel so unique and so special, so sacred, but also so necessary in order for us to do the work that we've done. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think that, you know... And the work that we will continue to do. And the work that we will continue to do, 100%. Yes. <laughs> Woo! Amazing. <laughs> okay, so, Kwame, I want to ask a question. I mean, you are in film and you are also in theatre and, I don't know, I've been... I, I, I produce film and, like, film and theatre, but I film. And I've been having conversations lately where your name just keeps popping up. You know, like, I, you know, I'd be talking to somebody and they'll be like, oh, yes, and then I've been working on this thing at the BFI with Kwame. And then I'm like, goodness, he's everywhere. But, I mean, with the pandemic and the way that it is, like, right now and has been in 2020, I mean, do you lean towards film more now or are you sort of still hopeful for theatre for the future or do you or do you have any idea of how you think it will move forward um i, I think anybody who tells you that they know what's going to happen tomorrow don't eat food at them don't eat food at their house <laughs> you can't trust them uh but all we can have is all we can have are ideas and hunches and an instinct. So let me tell you about my instincts. My, my instinct is that theatre cannot die because we are programmed to want to see ourselves reflected in three dimensions. Mm. We, are, we are so designed to wish to have a little bit of, of, of a distance, but not too much of a distance between our refraction and ourselves. And so the idea of, of, of that somehow we will be, that somehow that we will, will, will not have the need for this thing because we've got access to streamers um, doesn't exist um, for me. But what I do think is that theatre will um, have to accelerate and is accelerating its relationship with the digital form. Um, and, and that doesn't just mean putting a camera in the back of, a, of an auditorium or even having four cameras moving around. We're gonna to have to really innovate. And we're gonna have to innovate, not just for our survival, but we're gonna to have to innovate in the digital sphere because um, we need access. We need people across the world to have access to the thing that we do and then invite them through that digital output into our citadels. 
So um, to answer your first question, um, I, I've always been writing, no matter in the, in the film and television space, when I was writing when I was at Baltimore before that and, and, and now. Uh, and, and so there is no, because of the pandemic, I'm, I'm investing in film. No, um, I, 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 have, I have continually, um, I, I, I've continually invested in my anti-disciplinary self. That wherever the, wherever the idea fits best, whatever form it fits best, it might be a podcast, it might be a TV, it might be a piece of XR, it might be a bit of live theater, it might be wherever that lands, uh, that, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to tour on that land. Nice. So, Carms, let's talk about, because one of the questions I've never asked you, I don't believe I have asked you. Yeah, don't do it in public. But... <laughs> I'm doing everything in public right now. Do you know what I mean? Like, seriously, I'm really using this opportunity. <laughs> Right, okay, what can I ask Kwame that? What do I not know? I didn't know about the interview. I, I didn't know I was in no interview. I didn't know I was in no competition. I, just, I wouldn't have done it. I just thought I had one conversation. I thought Kwame woke up that day, thought of me and said, Look, dude, let's do this. That's what I thought when it came to the Black Bay Archive. But anyway. <laughs> I did. I thought of you first. And then I went on a long road to just make sure that that first thought was the right thought. Right, right. <laughs> so I really want to just understand how you, and this is for people who are aspiring artistic directors or that they are already in an artistic director position mm. and how they navigate and I guess negotiate still being an artist. Mm. That how do you get that balance between if they if there are such things as balance they're probably not but how do you how are you able to occupy both of those spaces um, and what uh, yeah and how because I feel like you've had that experience both when you were working at Baltimore Center Stage and now that you're at the Young Vic as well and I think it's really important that you do keep your identity and your identity doesn't become the institution alone, even though you are the ambassador, of course, of the institution. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I describe myself as a generative, interpretive and curatorial artist. And all three of those wash the hand of the other. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I can be those specific times of the day. Um, but, but all three of them, my inner day, my brain will go, oh, I want to produce that play. Oh, I really want to write that. Oh, 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 I want to, I want to dance with that writer to help develop or, or maybe direct that. It, it, it does that throughout the day. But one of the lessons, and actually a really great actor and producer, um, Malcolm Frederick, um, a, a, a Trinidadian British yeah. actor, You'll cuss me for saying British. You just say I'm, I'm from Trinidad. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, but, but but he spent many of his years here, and 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 sadly he passed a few years here. But he came to do my to perform in my very first play called A Bitter Herb, mm. on at uh, at Bristol Old Vic, and um in oh God, God, I can't even remember the year now, but in, in 2000, in the 2000 2002. And, uh, and the play went really well. And he said to me, Kwame, don't get caught up in the illusion of inclusion. Amen. Whatever is sent to you, sir, whatever comes your way, 
do not inhale. And that has been a lifelong lesson for me, not inhaling. And the less, when I got to Baltimore and I sat in the seat of the artistic director, for six months, emails would come and they'd say, Dear Irene Lewis, I love your work. The work you've been doing at Baltimore Set Stage is amazing. And here's a project. And then six months later, they would write back to me, Dear Kwame, we love the work that you're doing. We're such a fan. And I realized that, that, that I'm simply occupying the seat of artistic director. It is, I'm always keeping it warm for the next person who's coming in. And sometimes when you say that, it sounds like you're thinking about, oh, what can I do next? And it's not. It's just making sure that my ego is in check. That you are only ever, as you said beautifully, an ambassador for the institution. You are never the institution. Which means then, if I don't wish to be defined solely on being an artistic director, which means at the moment that you leave that job, you're not an artistic director. You know what I mean? Like if you don't go on to do another, to run another theater, you can't put artistic director on your passport. They'll say artistic director of what? And you'll say of myself. <laughs> and so I then, you know, you then think about, well, then what does define you? And what defines me is how I contribute to the culture and how I think I best contribute to the culture is by making sure I can put my art into the world. And sometimes that's through uh, writing. When I was younger, it was through music and I was a musician. And so I, I, I have seldom ever defined myself as a nine to five or a nine to 10 artistic director. I define myself, as I said, as a, generative, interpretive, and curatorial artist that will not be defined by the institution that I run. My art defines me. Drop the mic. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> so important. So important because so many people get so trapped, I think, this is my perception, um, by the institution in which they work that when they leave, they feel like they're starting from ground zero again. So I think that's a really, really great. Um, and, you know, and you are as an artistic director, again, unless you move up to a bigger institution and a whatever, whatever you're, you know, you, you, again, it comes down to your art. And I was really fortunate that Irene Lewis, the great Irene Lewis, who was the artistic director before me at Baltimore Center Stage, that, you know, she, 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 she was the one that handed me the keys to directing. That they were producing Elmina's Kitchen, the director got ill on the last day in the rehearsal room. And I went, Kwame, could you help, while he's in hospital, could you help take it to the next stage? And I went, oh, okay. And he didn't return and, and I took it to opening night and I'd never directed before. And they said, oh, you, you're quite good at this. You, you think about it. What was she doing was that she saw the light, the light mm -hmm. that we were talking about. And she said, you know what, let me, let, let, come share this light. Come, come, come. And so the job of being an artistic director can only ever really be the facilitation of other light of others. 
But that of itself cannot define you. Because, you know, as soon as people get the light, often they forget that you struck a match. Mm. Mm. They forget it because, because the world teaches us to inhale. I, I, I neither inhale when I'm up or I, don't, or I attempt to not inhale when I'm down. I try and keep it yeah. just within a bandwidth, you know? Don't get caught up in the, the delusion of inclusion. Love that. Love that. Kwame, you've, you've like worked in like all over the world. Like you've worked on several continents. Like how important is internationalism to you and how do you navigate that? I'm a Pan-African. I mean, it, it, that, that's the beginning and the end of it. And one of our secret weapons, we Pan-Africanists, one of our secret weapons, we diasporic Africans, is that way before the world discovered the internet, we knew that we did not recognize borders. I've got family in Trinidad. I've got family in Grenada. I've got family in New York. I've got family in Toronto. I've got family in Nigeria. I've got family in Ghana. And guess what? I was the one that had to write the letters for my parents. So I knew at a real young age that actually I shared a common language almost with the world. Now, at those times, I didn't know that I had people in the East, and I do now. <laughs> yeah. And so actually, I, I did a TV thing the other day for some, some, some First Nation folk in Australia. And I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, just to go live. I was just like, what? But it was beautiful to understand that we just had a shared language. A language, actually, that, that, that people born half a mile up the road from me sometimes may not share if they don't have the same cultural experience that I have. So that's a long way round of saying, I don't even recognize internationalism. I just don't know borders. I respect them because of my passport, but I don't know borders. I just go, hey, we speak the same language. Ha, where, where are you located presently? Oh, Zimbabwe, cool. Where are you located at the moment? Oh, Rio, cool. Yeah. Let's just talk, innit? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can so relate to that. <laughs> um, so I really want to hear. Um, so we hear about like a lot of writers and the lengths they go to um, and sort of their personal journeys um, that they've taken to tell a story. And I would love to hear about an unexpected research, an unexpected research and development process that you've gone on, that you've experienced when you were writing one of your plays? Hey, that's a question I've never been asked before. And thank you. I, I like process questions because they make you think, right? Um, you know what, so I'm gonna go back to, um, to the project that we worked on together on, um, on, on the piece on Grenada mm. uh, for, for the National Theatre. So interesting, actually, that was the first commission I ever took. I normally, before that, I never took commissions. I only ever just wrote the play and said, I'm going to send it to you, and if you like it, off you go. But that one, I took I took the commission. And, uh, and I took the commission, actually, to fund my research. Mm. And 
and, and just a little bit of backstory. My parents are from the West Indian island of Grenada. And, uh, and there was a, a quote unquote, a strongman leader called Eric Gary. And Eric Gary was uh, usurped in a velvet uh, revolution. No blood was spilt by the new dual movement. Um, and, and that was you know, led by Morris Bishop and Bernard Cord. And uh, I was about 16, my first year at college, and I, and I was called out of my class by my lecturer. She said, your parents are from Grenada, aren't they? Aren't they? And I said, yeah. So I think you, you probably want to go home right now. Grenada's just been um, invaded by America. I was just like, what? And I dashed home and, and I could hear as my father was speaking to his sister, I could hear the machine guns going off in the background. Anyway, cut a long story short, uh, Bernard Cord was convicted at the end of killing Morris Bishop. Morris Bishop, you know, they, they, were deputy, they were both prime ministers and, and Bernard Cord you know, was accused of killing him in an American court and, uh, and sentenced to life. Mm-hmm. In my household, however, Morris Bishop was a hero and Bernard Cord was the devil. When I started to write the play, I realized I had to speak to Bernard Cord. But to speak to Bernard Cord, I had to go and see him in prison. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember flying over to Grenada. It took a lot of hustling and through people that knew him. And they said, I could go in, I could speak to him, but I was not allowed to have a pen. I was not allowed to have paper. So in my brain, I was just like, how the hell am I gonna remember anything? And I just, everything he said, I just kept repeating it in my brain, repeating it in my brain. And I walked into the prison and if you ma- imagine, I, 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 I felt I was going in to see this demigod, this evil being. And I went into the room and he and I spoke for six hours. And at the end, I left uh, wishing he were my uncle. I was like, why didn't I have a role model like that in my life? Why didn't I have an intellectual giant like that around me? Why not? And, and literally, he, and he was brilliant because he'd obviously done his research. And, uh, and he was telling me when he lived two roads away from where I was born. And then he spoke about speaking to uh, the way West Indian children were being um, not educated. And I knew that my mother went to those meetings and my mother took me out of a state school and sent me to private school because she was part of the movement that said, we can't trust these people with our children. And so, do you know what, if I pay for it, then at least they can give me account for my pounds to my fist. I was really, after that, after I met him, I walked out of the cell where we were having the meeting. And I was introduced to several of those who contributed to the, the, the uprising, to the, to the rebellion, to the deaths. And he walked out and he introduced me, he said, you know, this is Kwame Kwema, you know, he's Canadian. He's like the Lewis Hamilton of, of drama. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis Hamilton, I'll never forget it. And there were all of these characters that I read that were part of the assassination, that were part of the, and it was, it messed with my head. And I walked for about 10 miles from the prison to, to my hotel because I couldn't put these two things together. My hate for him almost when I walked in and my admiration for him on my way out. And I was like, have I been manipulated? But do you know when you've been manipulated? 
And I was really lucky that the next day I was flying to San Francisco to see the daughter of Maurice Bishop, the person who had been killed. And I saw the psychological effects on her mm. that had happened to her losing her father, her role model at 12, reputedly to her uncle who lived in the house next door, who ran the country together. And that sobered me. But it meant that I came home and I never wrote a play that anyone bought. I, I, I could never, I couldn't find the way. I couldn't, I couldn't, I thought I found the way, but I never did. Oh my God, you're taking me way back to that project. You know, we definitely need to circle back to that and, uh, and, and, and make it happen. There was just so much research that was involved and that's the first time I think I've heard you. I, I think I remember you saying you 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 did the interview and you went, but I, hearing it again maybe has just illuminated it in my mind. Um, so it was deep. Yeah. So really, that was a process. Yes. Story that wasn't successful. <laughs> that wasn't successful. Um, that the, but none the same. The the process of researching, of interviewing, of meeting the subject that you wish to talk about mm -hmm. and being controlled by that. And then having to come back and put pen to paper in a way that could be convincing to others, in a way that is, is one that I, 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 I didn't win. I just didn't win that battle. Oh my God, there's so many questions that are running through my mind, but I know we have to move on. And so please come back, Kwame, because we've got so many more questions that we haven't even touched on yet. So we definitely have to do this again. And I'm just thoroughly, thoroughly just enjoying this conversation. I just don't want it to end, but it has to. So we need to move on to the next part. And this part, we absolutely love doing with our writers because it's the way to pay homage to others, right? And so we ask all of the writers that come on um, Beyond the Canon, the writer's room to tell us free plays that they wish they would have read before they entered the professional industry. Um, so I'm going to hand over to you and it doesn't matter when they were written, but just free <laughs> plays um, that basically were transformative in some ways or influenced you as a writer or as an artist or as, or as a leader. Um, so over to you, Qualms. Uh, I think it's real hard because I'm so old that I can't remember. <laughs> oh, please. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call, I'm going to call out my, uh, my mentor um, at a distance. Um, August Wilson and, and 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 I think Joe Turner's come and gone. Mm. It's gonna be uh, is, is gonna be right there. Um, the application of of our diasporic African rage has seldom been explored with such beauty and pain. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go for Edgar White's. Lament for Rastafari, mm. a, a piece that takes place in Africa, the Caribbean and New York, London and New York. Brothers writing high-end poetry, high-end, and I don't mean poetry as in rhymes, I mean 
in terms of talking to the soul. And then I'm going to go James Baldwin, uh, Blues to Mr. Charlie. Because the lesson I learned then, and I, and I definitely was in the profession then, the lesson is that understand your antagonist and care for your, your antagonist almost as much as you care for your protagonist. Mm. Know them. Love every one of them despite their flaws. Find their flaws and write through their flaws. Mm. That way you create three-dimensional characters where it's just not black and white, but multiple shades of gray. Free, superb recommendations. Please, if you don't know any of those plays, please go out and find them, read them and tell us what you think. Um, thank you so much, Qualms. We've just got one more thing that we like to do with all of our writers, and this is just a speed lightning round. Wow. So <laughs> basically you've got 10, question, 10, 10 seconds to answer the questions um, and you can only answer with one word or one sentence. <laughs> so, you can pick up the phone for me for, on Zoom with me for an hour and a half. You think I'm capable of such things? <laughs> one word, one sentence? Oh my God, you know what, every writer has said that? Like every writer has broken the rules. Like I don't but know To be is. fair, we are asking writers. <laughs> I, I think I it's an oxymoron in its actual kind of ambition. Of comes with <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, right. like asking for what, like a four by four mini. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be really quick. All right. Um, so are you ready, Combs? I'm ready. I'm going to try. All right. Let's okay. Go. All right. Question number one: What do you like to do in your spare time? Go in my sauna. Ooh. My infrared, Best. cheap ass, two hundred pound sauna. Woo! <laughs> the best play you've ever written. I think, oh, that's hard. Um, I, I, I think that, oh, God, I think that's, can I say two? I think Done. it's between statement of regret and let there be love. Mm. If you could tell your younger self something, what would it be? It's going to be all right. What character in any of your plays do you relate to the most? <laughs> Uh, uh, do I relate to the most? Wow, I've got to be quick. I'm just going to go with the first thing that comes in my mind. Digger in Elmina's Kitchen. <laughs> what is the best money you ever spent as a writer? Oh, buying a laptop. <laughs> Two favourite black dramaturgs. Uh, it's going to be, oh, oh, oh. It's going to be Ola, and it's going to be from here, and it's going to be, um, uh, actually, it's going to be Hana Sharif. Uh, what one thing makes a, for a good story? Love it. If you could choose a writer to co-write with, who would you choose? Spike Lee. Name two of the greatest black British, uh, the black, no, let's just say black, greatest play, black playwrights of all time. Uh, it's going to be Edgar White. 
and it's going to be Debbie Tuckerbury. Okay, fantastic. And then name two of the best black films ever. Woo! Malcolm X. Uh, oh, that's really hard. Um, Malcolm X and Black Orpheus. Okay. Um, what TV show are you obsessed with right now? Call My Agent. And last but not least, what is the last play that you've read? That I've read? Oh, oh, what's the last play that I've read? Dancing with Shadows by Chino Obim. All right, that's it. Thanks, Pops. <laughs> that was so good. You managed it. <laughs> oh, like uh, don't, don't ask, if you were to ask me them again, I might give you completely different answers. But... <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Any time with you, Sim, it's a good time. Oh my God. Much love to you. Thank you. You can get some rest now, Carms. Nothing but love. Nothing but love. You know, we've been speaking about light, but I can see your light even through the two dimensions of Zoom. Ah, that must be a powerful light. Powerful light. I send good vibes and vibrations to you. Oh, Paul, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kwame. I'm definitely holding a hand. Don't let go. <laughs> All right. Take care. Yeah. You've been listening to season two of Beyond the Calendar Writers Room podcast with your girls, Sim and Sim. If you want to find out more about Beyond the Canon, please visit www.beyondthecanon.com. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Beyond the Canon. And please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.